Well, good evening. It's a real privilege to be with you together tonight, and I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John. Your Bibles probably fall right open to the back after uh, Pastor Dale's Revelation series. You can just flip back a few more pages to the letter of 1 John. We're going to be looking at those wonderful gospel verses, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, but I'd like to start reading in verse 5 to give us a bit of the context. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Thus far, God's word. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you specifically for this word tonight. And we pray, God, that as we open up this passage, that you, by your spirit, would open us up, that you would show us something of our hearts and show us something of your heart. Lord, help me to speak clearly and help all of us to have ears to hear and hearts to embrace what you set before us tonight in your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I grew up in a small homeschool family of seven kids. Uh, I have three brothers and three sisters, and one time when we were younger, I was playing with two of my younger brothers in their bedroom. We had all gotten brooms, and we were using the brooms as swords and spears, which was a lot of fun until things got a little out of hand, and I accidentally stabbed my younger brother right in the eyes with the bristles of the broom. He's mostly okay now. But uh, he immediately burst into tears when this happens, of course. And my other brother and I, without talking at all, both did the same thing. We slammed the door closed, we threw our injured brother on the bed, and we sat on him, <laughs> hoping that mom and dad would not hear his cries. Notice what happened. Two little kids, when we did something wrong, without having to talk about it, without having to discuss it, we both wanted to cover it up. We had an instinctive aversion to the idea of confessing our sins. And whether you're a child or an adult today, you, you know that feeling, don't you? You've experienced that, maybe even recently. As adults, we can recoil from the idea of confession, just like a, a little kid would. But in our passage tonight, the Apostle John is giving us a call to confession. And more than that, he's, he's teaching us that confession is not something to be avoided, but something to be embraced. And John presses this in on us by, by reminding us of three truths, 
Three things we want to consider together tonight. First, John reminds us that sin is our greatest problem. Secondly, he reminds us that covering our sins is futile. And then finally, John teaches us that confessing our sins is freeing. Sin is our greatest problem. Covering our sins is futile, but confessing our sins is freeing. That's the heart of John's message, and it's what we'd like to look at together tonight. So as we look at this first point, that sin is our greatest problem, we have to ask ourselves why it is that John is, is even talking about sin here. This is the very beginning of his letter, and yet he's focusing on sin. Why? Well, to understand that, we have to understand why John is writing in the first place. Fortunately, he, he tells us why he's writing back in verses 3 and 4. Look at that with me. John says, uh, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You catch what John is, is doing here in this letter. He wants his readers to have fellowship with him and with God and to have full joy in God. But you see, there's something going on in this church that's threatening to undermine that joy, to undermine that fellowship. There are false teachers in this congregation who are spreading ideas that would rob people of fellowship and joy with God. And so in verses 5 and 10 that we read just a moment ago, what John is doing is, is beginning to address the claims of these false teachers. And all of their claims really boil down to this. This is how Ian Hamilton puts it. He said, all of their claims assume that God and sin can easily coexist. The false teachers are either denying sin altogether or, or downplaying its importance. And so John is responding to these false teachers by taking us back to what the Bible says about our sin. And he does this by reminding us really of three things. Firstly, that, that sin is serious. Or firstly, that sin is real. Sin is real. But sin is also serious. And finally, that sin is universal. We, we see this first thing in, in verse 8. John writes, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then he echoes the same idea in verse 10. If we, ha if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You see what John is doing right at the outset. He's, he's eliminating any attempt to deny the reality of sin. And that idea that, that sin is not real may, feels very contemporary, doesn't it? It feels very modern. We've all met people who deny that sin is real. They'll, they'll say things like, well, what we call sins are really just cultural constructs. Uh, really, all morality is, is culturally bound. It, it's all relative. That can sound nice when people say that, but the problem is none of us actually believe it. If someone tried to steal your wallet or hurt your child, there's not a single person on the planet that would just shrug their shoulders and say, well, I mean... It's all culturally relative, isn't it? No, we, we, we know that that's wrong. We know when we've been wronged, if nothing else. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we frequently wrong others. 
That's what John wants to remind us of. Sin is real. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It's really what we read in the scripture together this morning from Paul in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not only is sin real, it's also serious. Probably the most serious consequence of sin is that it dishonors God, but it, but it also separates us from Him. We're going to come back to that idea of dishonoring God in our next point. So I want to look at separation right now. What does it mean that sin separates us from God? Well, we have a very vivid picture of this, a very vivid example of this right in the first pages of the Bible. Kids, you remember what the very first story in the Bible is. God creates the world and He creates Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are made in the garden, and they enjoy perfect fellowship, perfect communion, perfect joy with God. Exactly what John wants us to have from reading this letter. Adam and Eve walk with God. They talk with God. They rule over all that God has made as His priestly caretakers of paradise. But what happens when they sin? Well, the very first thing that happens when Adam and Eve sin is that they're separated from God. This man and woman who were walking with God in comfort and communion are now hiding from God in sinful shame. They're pushed out of the presence of God to scratch out an existence east of Eden. And that's exactly what our sin does today as well. It does it in our human relationships. Just think about it. When you gossip, what happens? It damages your friendships. When you lash out in anger, it drives a wedge between you and your children. If you lie to your spouse, it undermines, it weakens your marriage. But of course, the greatest and gravest consequence of sin is not just what it does to our relationships with each other, horizontally. It's what it does to our our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. That's why the Lord said to Israel in Isaiah 59 verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. In other words, sin is serious. Sin is serious because sin separates us from God. Now you might listen to all of that, and agree with it, and yet still hold on to the idea that uh, I'm talking to somebody else, that this is not really about you. It's easy to see sin around us, just look down the pew, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's sin in us, does it? I'm not the sinner, but of course sin is universal. And John really drives this home with the way he phrases those, those two conditional statements. Listen to it again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Do you see how pointedly personal that is? John brings all of us into this equation. You see, it's not enough to recognize sin as a problem out there for those people. It's not just a problem for some people. We have to come to the point of seeing that sin and the separation it causes is the problem for all people, us included. That's our situation by birth. 
And it's a struggle that will remain in our lives, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Of course, for the unbeliever, sin stands in the way of union and communion with God. Think about it. An impure sinner cannot hope to have communion with a pure God. That's John's whole point in verses 5 through 7. And unless we're united to God in Christ, we have no hope of, of freedom, of forgiveness, or of life. So if you're a non-Christian here tonight, your sins separate you from God. And not only do they separate you from a relationship with God, they also condemn you before Him. Because the reality is, all of us are in a relationship with God. The question is, is God are we in a relationship with God in that He is the judge over our sins or that He is our redeemer from them? God sits over all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our actions. He sees every sinful intention of the heart even. There's no denying it. There's no hiding from it. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. That's what John says. So if sin is our great problem, what can we do about it? How do we respond to this truth? Well, that leads us to our second point. Covering our sins is futile. You see, John John knows that, that our tendency always is to deny our sin. That's really what's happening in verses 8 and 10. The false teachers and their followers here in this church have swallowed the lie that the best way to deal with our sin problem is just to deny it, cover it up, do what my brother and I did, just sit on it, hope it goes away. There's lots of ways we do that, isn't there? Once I had the the, uh, opportunity to to share the gospel with a man in downtown Grand Rapids who had uh, spent 10 years in prison for manslaughter, what had happened was he was, uh, he was out one night at a bar, he was drunk, someone made a disrespectful comment about his girlfriend, and so the guy I was talking to got in his car and ran the other man down, killed him. And what he did was a sin, and he knew it was a sin. He stood there on that street corner with tears in his eyes, telling me how sorry he was for what he had done, the sin he had committed. And in the very next moment, he started to tell me about all the good things he's done since he got out of prison. What was this man doing? Well, he was doing the same thing that you and I do every day. We see some of our sin, at least. We know we're not perfect. And yet we hope that we can make up for it by doing some good things. If we're mean to someone on Tuesday, we hope that being nice on Wednesday will kind of even things out. But John makes it clear that all of our attempts, no matter how big or small, to cover our sin are pointless. Covering our sin is futile, John says. Because really what's happening when we're, when we're denying our sin, when we're covering our sin, is we're, we're really doing three things. We're deceiving ourselves, John says. We're dishonoring God. And we're demonstrating just how separated we are from God. John highlights this very first 
this very thing, uh, self-deceit, in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves. And the worst of it is, we're not always even aware of it. It's so tricky. In fact, one of the, the Bible's pictures of sin is that sin blinds us. That's why John is putting it so plainly. It's why he surrounds verse 9 with these strong statements about the reality of our sin. It's as if he's saying, look, just because you don't see every sin you commit doesn't mean they aren't there and doesn't mean they aren't serious. When we deny our sinful nature or we deny the sinful things we've done, we're shutting our eyes to the truths we looked at just a moment ago. We're ignoring the fact that sin is real. We're ignoring the fact that sin is serious, and we're ignoring the fact that we personally are guilty. We're living in the dark. And notice how John puts this. It's not just that we're deceived. We deceive ourselves. Here in this congregation uh, that John was writing to, there were false teachers that had come in that were leading people astray. Friends, we don't even need false teachers Because there's a false teacher preaching from the pulpit of your heart every day, trying to downplay your sin, trying to deny your sin. And when we follow that false message, when we eat the lie that we've not sinned, we haven't succeeded in dealing with sin. We've only succeeded, John says, in deceiving ourselves in our sin. But of course, that's not the worst of it. The biggest problem with denying our sin is not just what it does to us or our understanding of ourselves, but what it says about God. And John really highlights this in verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Just let that sink in a moment. To make God a liar is to say that the one true God, the source of all that is good and true, has lied. So instead of recognizing that we're deceiving ourselves, that we're at fault, we try to shift the blame back, not just on others, but on God, to argue that He's the one who's doing the deceiving. That should make our blood run cold. Do you recognize that's what we do in our sin when we try to cover things up? When we try to deny our sins? We as fallen, imperfect people are shaking our fists at the Lord of the universe and saying, you're the liar. But that's what sin does. Sin always tries to justify itself and condemn God. It'd be like if a mass murderer walked into the courtroom for his trial and demanded that the judge give him the gavel and and the judge be taken away to prison. It's ridiculous. It's not right. But it's what our hearts tend towards, isn't it? God has made it clear both who we are and who He is. He's shown us that our natural tendency is to walk as children of darkness, but He is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And so to doubt or deny, to downplay these truths is to doubt and deny God. It's to make Him a liar, and it's to dishonor Him profoundly. And that brings us to that third thing 
that denying our sin does. It just demonstrates how far we are from God. In other words, it brings us full circle. We sin, and our gut reaction is to deny that sin. But then what happens is that we deceive ourselves, we dishonor God, and we just prove how far we are from Him. Notice the last phrases in verses 8 and 10. This is where John brings this out. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. In other words, any attempt to deny sin just demonstrates it. It proves our sinfulness. So those who claim to be without sin, those who claim that they haven't done anything wrong, are not being honest, and they don't have God's truth dwelling in them. They are separated from God, and their very attempts to justify themselves just dig the hole deeper. So the question has to be asked, what sins are we denying? What sins are you, are you covering in your heart? Some of you may feel like you walk through life wearing a mask. You feel like you have to hide who you really are because you think if people could see what you really think, if they could hear what you actually say or see what you actually do, you fear they'd be horrified and want nothing to do with you. Maybe you find yourself trapped in some addiction to drugs or pornography. Maybe you routinely lash out at your wife and kids in anger and abuse. Maybe you're dishonest in your work or doubtful in your faith or demeaning toward other image bearers, other people. And in the light of God's Word, you read a passage like this, you see your sin. You recognize sin is real. You recognize it's serious. You recognize you are guilty, not just someone else, me. But you don't know what to do. You can't cover your sin. That's futile. John makes that clear. So then what's the answer? How do you deal with sin? If we can't cover sin, where is our hope? Well, that brings us to our third point. And really right to the heart of our passage. Confessing our sins is freeing. Let me read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me read that again. Because this is one of the most precious promises in the whole of the Bible. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The title of this sermon is called to confession because that's exactly what John is doing here. You can't cover your sins, John says, but you can confess them. To confess our sins means that we see our sin the way God sees our sin. We don't try to deny it. We don't try to downplay it. We don't try to cover it up with our own good works. We see sin for what it is. Confession is a humble admission 
of our faults and failures. It recognizes that our sin has separated us from God and it has dishonored His holy name. But when we confess, John says we can be certain that three things are true. Three glorious promises wrapped up in verse 9 here. First, we are assured that confession brings forgiveness. Secondly, we're assured that confession brings cleansing. And because of that, our confession can be confident. The first fruit of confession is forgiveness. It's the first thing John mentions in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, the debt that we've built up through our sin is paid. We're forgiven. But how is that possible? Well, we have the answer to that right from the lips of Christ Himself. Think back to Matthew 26, 28. When Christ broke the bread with His disciples right before His death, what did He say? He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness flows from the broken body of our Lord. Christ came to die for sinners. And when we acknowledge ourselves as sinners and claim Him as our Savior, then the blood He shed for us is poured out on us. John makes it clear we can't cover our sin, but Jesus has done what we can't do. When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confession brings forgiveness because the blood of Jesus covers our sins. It pays our debts. It sets us free. And not only does confession bring us forgiveness, John says it also brings cleansing. Cleansing from all unrighteousness is how he puts it here. In other words, he's saying that our unrighteousness, our sin... It's not just like a debt that needs to be paid. It's like a stain that needs to be removed. Kids, uh, imagine that um, your family is going to go to some special event. Maybe it's a wedding or, or a graduation. And so your mom comes to you and says, I have a special outfit for you. I'm going to get you dressed now, but I want you to stay clean. Do not get this dirty. We're going to be ready and we're going to leave in 30 minutes. And so she gets you dressed and she goes off to get ready. But of course, it feels like your parents take a long time to get ready, so you you start playing, and you're not careful, you're not listening, and you look down and realize that you have completely stained this nice new outfit that your mom gave you. Now, you might be a little fearful of how she's going to react, but imagine you go to her, you, you confess what you did. Mom, I did not listen. I was not obeying. I was careless. I stained my shirt. It's ruined. Imagine that your mom forgives you. That would make you feel good. But then imagine that she also takes that shirt and she cleans it and she washes it. She hands it back to you. And all record that you ever did anything wrong is is gone. It's dealt with. That shirt is as good as new. Well, that's a little picture 
of what happens when God responds to our confession with cleansing. God washes away our sins, and again, He does it with the blood of Christ. Remember what John said just a few verses before this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Look down at, with, it, at it, uh, with me. He said, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Did you catch that language? From all sin. Not just some sins, not just little sins, all sins. And what we are told to do is simply to confess. And yet that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to confess sometimes. Because we can doubt. We wrestle with this command to confess. We ask ourselves questions like, how do I know that my confession is enough? How do I know that God will accept my confession? I mean, if you knew my heart, if you could look into my soul, into my past, see the sins I've committed, you'd know that just confessing sins is not enough to deal with sins. Don't we have those thoughts sometimes? We wrestle with these things. But John anticipates our thoughts. He anticipates our worries and he answers them powerfully. You see, what causes us to sometimes doubt the effectiveness of confession is that we think the grounds for our confidence rest in us. In other words, we think as long as my confession is good enough or sincere enough or frequent enough or long enough, then maybe it will work. We're like Luther in the monastery, frantically trying to confess every sin we can think of in the hopes that we'll get them all and it'll satisfy God. But when John tells us why we can have confidence in the power of confession, notice he doesn't mention you at all. He doesn't talk about us. He talks about God. John tells us that we can be confident in the power of confession because of the perfect and pure character of God. Look what John says in verse 9. He writes, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is, is grounding our con confession, our confidence in God's faithfulness and in God's justice. Now, if you think about those words, that, those might seem like strange attributes to mention here. I mean, of all the attributes, why faithfulness and justice? I mean, if he talked about God's patience or His mercy or His love, that would make a lot of sense. But, but how is it just for God to forgive our sins? If what we saw earlier is true, that our sin is real, it's serious, and it's, it's universal, then how can God just forgive it? If there was a judge here in West Michigan who had a, a murderer come into his courtroom and, and the judge said, you know what? I forgive you. It's all forgiven. Just go back into society. What would you think of that? Would we call that man a just judge? Of course not. So then how is it just for God to forgive us of our sins? We have to think about this carefully. Faithfulness and justice come together here. And when it says that, that God is faithful and just, 
It's saying that his, his faithfulness is a covenant faithfulness. In other words, God has given us promises in his word. And when it says that God is faithful, he's saying that he's going to be faithful to those promises. He's going to be faithful to that word. He will do what he said he will do. He will follow through on his promises. And he has promised that those who confess will be forgiven. So then how is that just? Well, it's just, unlike in the example of the human judge, because justice has been satisfied. The debt has been paid. When God forgives us, He's not sweeping our sins under the rug. He has paid the price Himself. It's not you, it's not me. God has paid the price for our sins through the gift of His Son on the cross. And so... God is faithful, and He is just to forgive us of our sins. Friends, I'm convinced that this is a passage which should be precious to every child of God. If you've not memorized it, make that your project this week. Memorize 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Because it offers us a whole new paradigm for thinking about, understanding, and dealing with our problem of sin. We can really capture it all in just one simple phrase. What John is saying is this, stop covering sin, start confessing sin. That's it. So what is it that keeps you from confession? Well, if you're not a Christian, you might fear what confession will cost you. You might be too in love with your sin, to really place it on the altar before God. But remember what John has already taught us in verses 8 and 10. If we don't confess our sins, if we just try to cover them up in some way, we'll go on living in self-deception and we'll be dishonoring the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who is calling us to confession today. So listen to this call. And find forgiveness and cleansing in the perfect blood of His Son. But of course, it's not just unbelievers that can struggle with confession. Christians can fear confession. And this can be especially true if you, if you hold a position of authority or respect. It, it could be that you're an elder or a deacon in the church. It could be that you're a well-known businessman or a homeschool mom a school teacher, or, or just someone who's been involved in the life of the church for many, many years, and, and you, you think to yourself, what would people think if they knew? How would the church respond if they found out about, about my sin? We find ourselves trapped in these moments where, where we've kind of nurtured hidden sins, We've allowed it to grow up, and we don't know what to do. We, we feel like we can't afford to speak up. Friends, the truth is we can't afford to stay silent. Sitting silent in your sin only adds to your sin. Now, I'm not saying that every sin we commit privately needs to be confessed publicly. But every sin we commit is a sin against God and so we need to bring our sins to God in confession. And when our sin is against those around us, well, then we need to go to them in confession as well. 
That can be a scary thing. It can be a hard thing. But it's what God calls us to today. And it's through that confession that he gives great freedom. I know there's many people here who have been blessed, as I have, by the, the openness of, of harvest. Um, authenticity is one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. But in the best way possible, harvest is an authentic church or strives to be. And in, in small group ministries and Sunday schools and things like James Fellowship or, or the Love and Truth Counseling Ministry, many have experienced the freedom that comes with confessing our sins to God and others. And if you're a believer here tonight, you can have confidence that God has forgiven all of your sins on the cross. All the wicked things that you have done or are doing or will do have been paid for. But that doesn't mean that we can turn a blind eye to sin any more than the unbeliever can. Think about it. If even John, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how he's described in the Gospels, if even John has to confess his sins as a Christian, how much more do you and I? We need to take his words seriously. If God is light, then what fellowship can he have with darkness? John wants us to see that confession is not something to be feared. It's not something to be avoided. It's a gift. It's a gift to be received. Because it's through God's gift of confession that we find forgiveness. And it's through confession that we find cleansing. Through confession, the truth of God and the Word of God dwell in us. I know of no clearer statement of the heart of God towards sinners than these words. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Let's go bow before Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we humbly confess our sin. We confess, God, that all of our thoughts and words and deeds outside of the work of your Spirit stand over us to condemn us. We confess, Lord, that we have held back from confession. Even those of us who have come to know you by your grace, who have been given new life, who have experienced and tasted firsthand the freedom that comes with forgiveness, we still have held back at times from that forgiveness because we don't want to confess. Father, forgive us for our lack of confession and move our hearts now. Lord, if there is any hidden sin that we have held on to, Lord, if we have not laid down our lives before you in confession because we love our sin too much, because we love our freedom as we think it, Lord, show us what true freedom is in Christ. And Lord, help us all to know firsthand the great joy that comes through your grace and your forgiveness and your cleansing. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and respond to this wonderful text with that wonderful hymn, Trinity Hymnal number 455, And Can It Be That I Should Gain?